everybody. It's Rob Keynes with GoldSilverPros.com. Thank you for joining the show today. We're broadcasting August 1st, 2023. It's about 1 p.m. Central Time. Thank you, everybody, for joining the program. Uh, we are back live after a week off, and so glad to see everybody here. Thank you to Peter Frowine, who is riding shotgun with us on the YouTube channel doing moderating duties. Oh, audio check is good, and Peter is hailing from Crimea, Russia, on his journey over to Russia. Uh, thanks, Peter, for joining us from overseas. And thank you, everybody else, for being in the chat. Today's program is going to be about the banks, and we're going to go back and revisit that because, quite frankly, I don't think that that problem was solved at all in the spring when we had the bank failures of Silvergate and issues with Credit Suisse and uh, SVB and, and all of those. I think it was uh, First Republic was another one thrown in there. I think we had the second, third, and fourth largest bank failures in history when all of those occurred. Uh, of course, wasn't quite didn't raise quite the hubbub or the uproar that the problems with Lehman did way back when, um, you know, in 2008 timeframe. However, I think that the situation could be quite worse simply because of the date ratios and liquidity ratios. And that's really what we're going to get into today. So without further ado, I'm just going to jump right into it. Uh, the first thing that I wanted to show you is a chart from Fred, which is the Fed's uh, database of information. This is a chart that I referenced in a video back in the spring when we were talking about uh, deposits and how many deposits had come out of the banking system. Uh, there was a peak here in deposits in about April of 2022, as you can see on the chart. Now, we have two lines here. The blue one represents the large domestically chartered commercial banks. And those valuations are on the right in terms of those deposits at those banks. And by deposits, we're talking about you going in and depositing your money. And then on the left-hand side are the small domestically chartered banks. The Fed does break these up into two. And I think that's quite handy because it gives us an idea of what's happening to the big boys and what's happening to the smaller uh, banks within the United States. Now, as we can see, and as I've marked on this chart, the largest banks as represented by the uh, blue line have lost almost a billion dollars in the past year and three or four months. And they're not doing so hot. That's a lot of money. That's almost 10% of their deposits. I think it's something like $921 million have come out of those banks. And it actually started, like I said, in 2022. So it wasn't the, the banking crisis in the spring. That actually came about because this the amount of deposits flowing out of large commercial banks had started the year before. So it took about a year of us having some issues with banking deposits before that became an issue, but it's continued to crash afterwards. And the path is clearly down. You can clearly see the line. This is not in any way, shape or form a safe uh, situation at all. And um, yeah, I think that we're gonna continue to have issues as we go forward. And I'm gonna, we're gonna show you some more data on that. Reminder in the chat, we do have up a question or a poll question, if you will. And that poll question is, do you feel safe keeping your money in the bank? Please answer that question if you don't mind on the chart. And thank you, everybody, for joining in. It looks like we have more people loading in. Uh, we're up to about 100, so we're going to go deeper into the data that we have. This is something that you're not going to be warned about by the rating agencies, and I'll get to that in a moment. It's actually a little bit further down. First, let's take a look at this, this article from S&P Global Market Intelligence. And the reason I'm bringing this here, and this is written by Nathan Stovall and Zane Tariq. Thank you guys for writing that. The reason I'm bringing this in here is because I want to dissect a little bit the anatomy of how the commercial banking system works. So you can tell whether it's in good shape or bad shape. And then 
if you're trying to make preparations for your financial future, it really helps to know one, do you want to have your money in these banks as their risk to you, the consumer, the depositor? And two, if, if some of these systemically large banks fail, what does that mean for the economy? Certainly back in you know, 2007, 2008 with the Lehman issue and the mortgage crisis, we had a major banking issue. But that originally came from the mortgage industry or the mortgage side or the real estate side. This more has to do with commercial deposits and liquidity ratios. If you guys recall the last few years, I've been talking a lot about Basel III. Basel III is a set of regulations put out by the BIS to help uh, global banks increase their liquidity, increase their liquidity ratios. And what does that mean? You want to have more cash on hand per money that you have loaned out so that if you reach tough times, you have enough backup. If some of that debt starts to default or people aren't paying back that debt or you have issues with that debt, that you have liquidity in the system so the banks don't fail and you don't have to have these big bailouts. Well, certainly we saw issues in the spring and the data I'm going to show you today uh, basically very conclusively shows that the banking system has not recovered from that, that we have yet more problems. In fact, there are banks that have just as bad liquidity ratios or really just as bad liquidity ratios as, say, Silvergate and SVB that are still out there. And by the way, the rating agencies haven't changed their ratings on them. So we're going to dive down into this article. And this table is a really busy eye chart for you. I'm going to blow this up just a little bit so you can see it better. We're over here on the right-hand side looking at this very busy chart. And what I want you guys to look at is this proportion of uninsured deposits. So where I'm drawing my mouse right now, right here, this like third column over of data, that's a proportion of total deposits after exclusions, meaning how many deposits do they have as a percentage of overall, uninsured versus overall. That's the first data point we're going to look at. If you notice, Silicon Valley Bank is here and they were at 93.8%, meaning most of their deposits were not insured, meaning a lot of those people would not be made whole in case of default. And then it goes down. We also have a signature bank here. That was the one of the ones that defaulted as well. And so those banks were basically failed and most of their depositors were not insured. The other thing that I want you to pay attention to is this column right here where it talks about how much of their portfolio is loaned out. In other words, how much liquidity do they have? Okay, and the higher the number, not so great. It means that they've got a lot of money out into investment or they're borrowing money in the big capital markets more so than free money from deposits. This is not a great thing because those will be liabilities to them, whereas deposits really are straight assets. In other words, you want more assets as a percentage of your portfolio than liabilities. So if banks are having to take liquidity from other places and have liabilities for that, meaning they borrow money to survive, that's not good. What you want to do is have enough deposit money from your, your customers so that you're not over leveraged. Leverage is the big deal here. Well, as we go down to this chart in the article, you can see this red line is what I want you guys to look at. This is the important one because this is loans plus securities and deposits. And basically what they're pointing out here, banks increase wholesale funding reliance as liquidity pressures go. In other words, they don't have the cash in their business, the cash flow from loans, or the free deposits that aren't reloaned out. They don't have liquidity in their system. They're having to get liquidity for operations through other means, borrowing it from other places. That's wholesale funding. That's when they go to the wholesale funding market and say, we need bucks. Somebody give us bucks and they're going to have a liability attached to it. They're going to owe money back plus some form of interest or fee payment. The more that this red line goes up, the more risk that we have. So when you see this line go up, it's no surprise that you're going to start having bank failures. That's why we had bank failures in the spring. 
another thing that I want to introduce you to is another concept. And I realize I'm throwing a lot at you and we're going to, we're going to give you an executive summary at the end. So don't worry about knowing all this stuff ahead of time. We're going to talk through it. I'll give you a summary at the end because I realize this can get kind of complicated, especially for a live. I'm diving into something uh, that's sort of data heavy and maybe something you haven't heard of before. So don't worry. We'll, we'll explain it. There's something called deposit beta. What is deposit beta? It's basically the difference between, um, well, I'll let them explain it to you as we get into the betas. It's a difference between the interest rate that um, the Fed has and the interest rate they're giving depositors. So let's say the Fed's been raising interest rates. We're over 5%, it's slightly over 5% now. And so now everybody's going to expect higher interest. Well, the banks don't have it, guys. They don't have the liquidity to give you that. So the deposit beta is the difference between what the expectation of the market because the Fed has raised the federal funds rate, which everybody looks at the federal funds rate and says, well, if the Fed is charging 5%, you know, my bank should give me more. But the beta is the difference between what the Fed has set the expectation of the market for and what the banks are actually able to provide. But they don't have the liquidity right now. There's a lack of liquidity, guys, in the system. If you look at this table, there are a lot of banks here, State Street Bank and Trust, um, Bank of New York Mellon, all of these in the high 90s have issues with overall liquidity. So they're not going to be able to make up that gap in terms of interest rates given to you, the depositor, that you're going to expect in the market because interest rates have risen. Does that make sense? So deposit beta is a measure of how that bank is able to repay you maybe for what you're able to give them. And we're going to go ahead and uh, for some reason that's not sharing on the screen. So we're going to put that back up, guys. Not exactly sure what the issue is there, but we're going to see if we can get that back up on the screen. Here we go. Yep, there we go. So if you haven't seen what I've been showing you, there we go. That's the deposit beta. Uh, or this is wholesale funding, which is going up, which means they're having to take loans just to operate. And they're highly leveraged if you look at this chart. And so what's happened is the deposit beta, the difference between the expectation of the market, what the interest rate should be, and what you're actually getting for your bank account is growing. And there's a really good article here on Liberty Street Economics talking about the spread between the Fed funds and the deposit rate. And it's widened. In fact, since 2020 quarter one, it's gone almost straight up, meaning the amount of, of return that people expect in a high interest rate environment to break even. Let's say, you know, your, your real estate costs went up instead of 3% loan, it's now 7, 8%. Well, you're paying that out for your house. But if you're a saver, you want to get that money back on your savings so that you're not losing money over time. Because if you're paying higher interest rates on your car loan, on your home loan, on your credit card, but the banks are still only paying you a quarter of a percent or maybe half of a percent, you're losing by saving money. And by the way, that's something you can offset with gold and silver properly you know, over time. But if you're in the bank and you have liquidity in the bank, everybody has to keep a certain amount of money in the bank. Certainly, if you own a business, you have to and you pay bills, you have to. You want to earn more interest, more interest rate, right? But you can see that this gap is widened to the point where uh, people aren't able to get that. That's the, the the deposit spread, if you will. OK, and so that's created a situation where people aren't able to get, you know, the interest rate back. Consumers are that everybody else is charging them in the market for everything that they're doing. At the same time, funding ratios continue to tighten, meaning the banks have less money. They're taking too much loans. They don't have enough liquidity. Those liquidity ratios are tightening up. There's not enough money in the system. So if you go back to what I said about Basel requirements before, the Basel requirements say you have to have a certain amount of money in there so you don't fail during a recessionary environment or during a time which you have these high interest rates. The banks, 
are charging these high interest rates and they're still not able to keep up and transmit that money to you, the consumer, in terms of returns on CDs and uh, uh, money markets and your regular bank account because they're too leveraged. If you go back to this chart over here, they're too leveraged, okay? They're so leveraged. They have these very high numbers. They're leveraged. And most of these deposits are uninsured. So your deposits aren't safe if they go out of business. But if you look here, look at these rates, 93.3, 94.4 for the two bank failures, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. But look over here, you've got State Street Bank and Trust 40.1. It's not bad. What about First Republic 110? They went out of business, but you got East West Bank at 91, West Alliance Bank at 101. These very high rates of where they don't have a lot of liquidity and most of their your deposits aren't insured in, in this system. So what's the chance you're going to lose money if they run into liquidity problems? Very high because you're probably uninsured and that's the problem. And why is that? Because of deposit betas, because of the difference between uh, what you're getting and what uh, you're having to pay on the loans that you take is so high. It's created this difference. And this little chart's really he cool here. It shows you over time how those deposit betas are rising over time. So this has been going on back to the 1990s. If you look at this, we've got numbers from the 1990s. So this, ladies and gentlemen, is almost a quarter of a century trend where interest rates have been rising in the environment for, for things that you're paying for, but you're not getting that money back on your savings. So if you have cash in the bank, this introduces a lot of risk to you. The risk to you is you're paying the immediate risk that you have right now. The realized risk, the risk that, that you're living in every day is that you're paying more and more and more to borrow money and you're getting less and less and less to loan it. That's not good. And the banks happen to be in a really bad state of uh, situation. And the failures of Silicon Valley and First Republic and Signature aren't the only failures. And this is very clear in this article by SP Global, what's going on. And what the banks are having to do to try to tighten up this deposit gap to get you the money that you need and also to run every day, okay, because of deposit losses and bad credit losses is they're taking wholesale funding. They're borrowing money to operate. So let's put this in a summary format. The banks aren't paying you near as much as they're charging you for the loans that you take. So there's a difference between the banks are able to get from you and what you're getting back from them. They're over leveraged at this point and they're starting to have a lot of loan losses and things like that. They don't have enough cash because they're over leveraged. Think about 2008 and how much money was created. And the banks got that money first and put it into the market in the form of loans. They took a lot of risk. Well, over the last 10, 12, 13 years, they've taken on so much risk that they're not able to operate. They're over leveraged. So they're having to borrow money just to operate. This is a huge, huge issue. Not only are your deposits at risk, but the banks themselves of completely failing are at risk. And most of them, you know, most of them are uninsured. Look at these numbers. Most of your deposits are uninsured. So the end, uh, the, the end result is yes, the banks could go out of business, but this could bankrupt you and me. This could spread to potentially hundreds of millions of people in the United States and potentially billions across the world because a lot of economies across the world are in the same boat. And this is not good, ladies and gentlemen. This is a ton of risk. Well, the last thing that I wanted to show you related to this has to do with credit ratings. So let's look at Northern Trust and let's look at State Street and all these high leverage banks. They're still sitting at very high credit ratings, AA on Fitch, AA minus on Standard & Poor's, AA3. The ratings haven't changed. And these are as of March, 2023. So they're relatively recent. 
These have not been changed. So even though all of this risk exists, that the banks aren't liquid, that the banks are having to borrow money, that the banks, even though they're borrowing money, still can't pay you a decent interest rate, they're still rated highly. So you go to your bank and you say, well, what's your rating? Or you look it up online, it looks pretty good. I, I'm, you know, if I put my money in Northern Trust, it's okay. But oh, wait a minute. Northern Trust over here, oh, they're pretty levered. You know, they're relatively safe, but they're pretty levered. What about State Street? They've got really good ratings. Well, State Street right here is very highly levered. Most of your deposits are uninsured and they're highly levered. That's not necessarily a good thing. Which will be the next of these banks to fail? I don't know. But look at the aggregate. You have only 45.9% in the commercial banking sector of your deposits are insured and over almost 80% of their funds are loaned out or 80% of their money is in loans. What happens when a large portion of these start defaulting? How many of this number of you guys are going to get your money back? And how many of you would have known because the rating agencies haven't done their job proactively and looking at this situation? Now, when you see this information out in public, you have to know that the rating agencies, the Fed, everybody involved in banking already has it because there's reporting requirements. They already know this. I'm, they're not going to watch this video and say, oh my God, Robert Goldsiver Pros, you know, we better do something. We better start, you know, changing our ratings. No, they already know this. It's their job to know. This is information that's filed with the government. They know about all of this. They know that their deposit betas where the banks can't pay you because they're too busy borrowing money like mad and is going up. This is not good, ladies and gentlemen. They know the system is in trouble. And every time the Fed raises their interest rate, every time the Fed raises their interest rate, they drive the banks closer to bankruptcy. They drive the banking system closer to bankruptcy because what happens? These are highly levered banks that don't have enough money to, to, to provide you a decent interest rate and sure as heck not to insure all your deposits and make you whole, okay? Only about half of deposits in the United States of these big commercial banks are insured. Half of you are going to get nothing and that's, you know, or half of the money deposit will never come back. And, and how much is in the FDIC to bail out? We know that about 1% on average, slightly less or slightly more, but it's about you know 0.9 to 1.1% usually or 1.2% of all deposits are insured by the FDIC. So that insurance scheme, you know, you can't use 1% of insured deposits to make up for 50% of those uninsured. The, the, the numbers don't work out. So of that 50% that's uninsured, 49% of you are going to get screwed if the banks start to fail, because even with the FDIC, they don't have enough. So the backstop is, is 150th. The backstop of the FDIC is 150th of the uninsured deposit. And think about this. What about insured deposit? Even if they're in, you know, insured deposit, you're not going to be able to make up for that either. That 50% that the FDIC doesn't have it. And if these loan values are in the, you know, 80%, if these banks are loaned up 80% of their liquidity and they start to fail, that's only 20% room, 20% to make up for uninsured, 50% of uninsured deposits. So as you start adding all these numbers up, it becomes very clear that the banking system is in big trouble. It's in big trouble. And ladies and gentlemen, a few bank failures didn't do it. So when the, when the authorities say the banking system is safe, they're trying to keep a, a run on the bank. They're trying to keep a panic down. And, and it's you know, in one hand, I'm very glad that they're telling you that because if we had a bank run, the economy would have collapsed by now. And so I think the Fed and the banking authorities are trying to do everything that they can to prevent that while they're trying to figure out the problem on the back end. OK, so I'm not 100 percent mad at them for saying that. OK, but I'm going to come to you because if we would if the cat was out of the bag right now, the economy would have already imploded. 
Look at what happened to Lehman, one systemically important bank at the beginning of the 2007-2008 crisis. They said it almost took down the world economy, not only the U.S. economy, the freaking world economy. And that was one bank. Okay, one. Okay, let's go back to this, this Fed chart and let's look at, you know, what it shows in terms of, you know, people pulling their money out of the banks. How liquid are the banks now when you lose almost a billion dollars in about a year and three or four months? People are pulling their money out. That's one of the reasons why they don't have enough liquidity. The banks are having to borrow because people have already pulled their money out. The smart money's come out. That's why these loan-to-value ratios are going up. These are going to continue to get worse because smart money is pulling out. Family offices, other businesses are going to other things. Maybe they're buying gold and silver. Maybe they're keeping their money in the mattress. Maybe they're building, but I don't know. Maybe they're going and putting into safe investments like treasuries, which would be a mess because we know treasuries are probably not too safe with all these countries de-dollarizing. It's quite possible even the banks that have pulled their money out ahead of time, if they're putting in things like treasuries, they're still not safe. Okay, where do you go when the banking system craters? You can't put it in the bank because the banking system is cratering. You can't put it in treasuries. Who feels safe about treasuries right now with de-dollarization going on? Where are you going to go? There's nowhere to go. I don't know what the hell you do other than to go to something like gold and silver or Bitcoin or Kinesis or Load or put your money somewhere else. But you sure as hell don't want to have it in the banking system. But at the same time, I don't want to tell you to pull it all out because if you do, we could crash the system. Now, I don't want that responsibility. I'm not your financial advisor. Just put that disclaimer up right now. I'm not telling you what to do with this information. This is just information and research. I'm not your financial advisor. Please do your own research. And I'm certainly not telling you all to go pull all your money out at once because if we do, we're kind of screwing, we're screwing ourselves. That's what the data said. So it's kind of like we're stuck between a rock and a hard place. So do you got your gold and silver? Because man, I don't know what happens if we pull all our money out to go to gold and silver and put it on our mattress. We, you know, we could be, we could end up crashing this. It's not because we want to, but because it's not solvent. It's a mess. It's a paradox. What do you do? There's absolutely nothing you can do. It's a cluster. It is a serious cluster. I don't know what else to tell you guys. It's yeah, Peter Froline says, move your money to Russian banks now. Uh, because Peter's out in Russia, I certainly understand perspective. I can't speak to, I don't know anything about the Russian banks. So please, you know, uh, please, you know, take that advice if you if you wish. I, I can't advise you to do that. I, I, I don't know anything about Russian banks, but thank you, Peter, for putting that in the chat for people who are looking for alternative. Please do your own research there. But he could be completely right. I mean, I don't know if Russia is any worse than the U.S. I can't imagine China's doing any better. They've got their own problems. The global banking system, guys, is a mess. The next step for me uh, looking at this is to go to the global banks. Now, I will tell you right now. The European banks are in serious trouble. I've looked a little bit at their liquidity ratios and, oh, my goodness, you know, that ain't good either. Um, certainly, we'll go back and look at that. And I'll try to do more research on the global banking system. But I don't know, ladies and gentlemen, that any place is super safe. Maybe there is a district that's super safe. And if there is, I'll look for it. But at this point in time, other than going to gold and silver or if you want to do private cryptos or the asset-backed digital currencies like Load, Kinesis, Oris, those types, you know, certainly those are options. Do your own research there. I'm certainly, you know, involved in, in quite a few of those. Just, just, you know, but I still have to have my money in the system for my business. I still have to have my money in the system to pay employees. I still have to have money in the system to pay, you know, to pay rent. I still have to have money in the system to pay my personal bills. I, I can't take it all out. So we're all running that risk, ladies and gentlemen. We're all in this together. And I don't know that there's one universal answer. 
And I don't, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but I, the title of this presentation is shocking data shows that U.S. banks are spiraling into cash crisis and they're spiraling. They don't have an out. And as a result, those of us involved don't really either other than gold and silver. But if you're going to pull your money out, you might want to do it kind of slow because if you yank it all out and enough people do it, we could actually accentuate the crisis. And I'm certainly, you know, like I said, it's a paradox. It, it's tough. There is no one right answer here. There is no one right answer. But certainly, you know, I understand this is tough and this is, you know, a tough situation for everybody, you know, and I, and I certainly get that. And, uh, you know, hopefully you guys are doing the best that you can. And uh, uh, Jeff uh, Boaster here says, buy dirt, you know, buy some land, plant, plant some vegetable gardens, get some animals, move out into the country, you know, certainly pay off your debt right now is probably the most responsible thing you can do. Again, I'm not your financial advisor, but just thinking of solutions that everybody in the industry typically throws out there, including the government types and your financial pundits, you know, that give you advice all the time. I'm not your financial advisor, but, you know, look at all those things for yourself and decide what you want to do. Certainly I go to gold, silver, and certainly I look at asset-backed digital currencies that are based on gold and silver. And as a third step, I might look at Bitcoin, maybe, although I'm not the biggest, you know, Bitcoin fan in terms of it being super solvent going forward. We certainly saw what happened in the crypto winter, but I don't know. I may be able to, I may take a haircut on Bitcoin, but it may be less of a haircut than having my money in the bank. I don't know. You know, and even though that's my third option, but at least I've got some options there. And you guys may want to start looking at those options, you know, do your own research. But my goodness gracious, uh, this is a problem, ladies and gentlemen. It's a, a definite problem. You know, leave your comments down there and chat about what you would do and, wh and what you think, you know, and and uh, certainly let us know how you voted in the poll. And certainly those are all potentially, you know, legitimate options for you. We're going to get to our show sponsor. And of course, it is Kinesis. So we're going to talk a little bit about Kinesis today. And the reason they're a show sponsor is one, I just like them for the main reason. But secondly, because they are an option to what I just showed you with the banking system, because this is all backed by gold and silver. And all it is is a digital token on top of it, it runs on the Stellar blockchain for people that know Stellar can go look at it. You can certainly go to forms.kinesis.money and look at, um, you know, all the people that have checked the blockchain and made sure that that's sound and it's accurately represented. Of course, they have audits that are produced where we're yearly now, uh, quarterly, I believe is what they've committed to. But I wanted to bring you something different. Uh, Kinesis has uh, partnered with Valarum, which produces physical gold bills. Now they do it for countries. They do it for individuals. Uh, they're moving millions of these things. Now I hear from the people at Valarum and Valarum is much like gold backs uh, in that they've infused gold into bills and they're awesome. They're beautiful. I don't know if you guys have seen them. They're absolutely gorgeous. I have it uh, on strong authority that Kinesis and Valarum are going to do a Kinesis theme when, if you like Kinesis. But essentially here, uh, Kinesis and Valorum will be releasing a series of co-branded bills titled Kinesis Orm, featuring unique custom designs beginning with two bills containing one-tenth of a gram or 100 milligram and one gram of gold, respectively. The precise micro layer of gold enshrined with the Kinesis Orm will be visible from edge to edge throughout each bill. So if you're interested in that and getting some gold infused into bills, certainly take a look at that. It's a great partnership between two, I think, well-respected well-founded companies that I like both of them. I like Blarm and Kinesis. And if you're interested in it, take a look at it. Now, certainly from just a gold content perspective, there's going to be, you know, some premium there because you have to look at the extremely technical and scientific process of infusing gold into that bill. I mean, there's a lot of research that went into that. So there's gonna be a little bit of premium on that, but at least it gets you gold into a gorgeous design. And I think it's a heck of a lot better than putting your money in the bank.
do you want to put your money in the bank or would you ra rather have it in gold and silver? And you can hold it in different ways. You can hold it in physical at home if you wish. You can hold it in physical at one of these international depositories if you trust that. You can hold it in Kinesis where using the blockchain, you can transfer that to other Kinesis users and in and out of the banking system in certain ways, depending on where you are. You could hold it in Valarum, these gold bills. Those are certainly all ways to hold gold and silver. We definitely want to talk about all those on the program. It's simply your choice as to what you want to do. You know, I'm not going to tell you what to do. That That's definitely up to you. But I think they're all potentially legitimate options. Looks like sound is good, ladies and gentlemen. I'm looking through the chat and I don't see any questions. So we're going to end the poll. The question was, do you feel safe keeping your money in the bank? Only 16% of you said yes, and 84% say no. That's not a surprise given the audience, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if you had any questions, I don't see any super chats in the chat. Lots of activity in the chat there. Good to see about 200 people in. Thank you guys so much for joining. We do these lives at 1 p.m. Central Time on Tuesday, usually one, somewhere between 1 and 2 p.m. Central Time, uh, almost every Tuesday when we can. We like to do that to be live and to answer your questions and to interact with you. Uh, we also do it because we know that we have people overseas. We have people in the UK. We have a sizable amount of people in Europe. We have a sizable amount of people in Australia and some in the Middle East even, and even in Asian nations. And now we have one in Russia with Mr. Uh, Frowine, who's our channel moderator, who's living in Crimea. So certainly we have people around the world that watch us, and we like to make this accessible in a live format to them so that we can you know, reach out to you and connect with you and serve our audience. And then, of course, on Thursdays, we have another either research or interview piece that we bring out. And then on Fridays, we have our weekly market wrap where I go into detail on gold and silver. I go into detail on the economy and bring you the stories of the week and talk about the macroeconomic data to help keep you educated and what's going on. Thank you, everybody, so much for joining the program. It is an absolute pleasure. I'm going to take my glasses off here now that we're through the data portion. Wanted to take a moment and thank you guys so much for following us and being a part of it. You know, the last few years I've been doing this, you know, I just jumped on and said, I need to talk to people about gold and silver and, and certainly didn't think that it would blossom this way. And I'm very thankful that's happened. I'm very thankful that you guys are in the audience and that you support us. And uh, of course, we're going to do the best research, best research we can to bring it to you for free. We're just trying to educate you uh, because we feel it's very important. And I think the day that we showed today shows how important it is to think about other investments other than the traditional ones. Certainly do your research there, but we feel like this, you know, is a value to you. And as long as it's value, keep coming to the program and also leave comments in the chat and in the comments down below, because we certainly like to look at those and use those potentially for future shows and answer those questions as well. And also, if you don't mind, guys, we do have some, some channel sponsors that help us out, help fund all this research so I can run this business and not have to do it in my spare time. And while I have another full-time job, uh, thankfully, this, this, this does keep me fed as we go along. And so if you're interested in our show sponsors, definitely click down at the links below in the description. We certainly appreciate it. But if you don't want to, that's okay too. Like I said, this research is free for you. Thank you so much for joining the program. Until next time, this is Rob Keats with Gold Silver Pros. Please stay safe.